This is Reggie ATL coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, here via iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and Spotify. I'm here with a special guest today, Chris Barrow from Elite Smoke Shop and Adult Novelty in Conyers, Georgia. Chris, I've known you for a very long time, seems like an eternity. It's like 20 years, 20 years, just not to sell our age here, because that means I've known you since I was like three. I know that you have like an entrepreneur type mindset and you always have. What made you get into an adult novelty shop will push you in that direction. Well, initially um, I was working in corporate America when the opportunity came to my doorstep, so to speak. I was looking for some kind of investment opportunity, some kind of exit strategy from the rat race. A partner of mine let me know that uh, his friend already had a smoke shop and he was looking to open another one. So he was looking for more so a silent partner. Mm. Um, so it was an opportunity to invest in in something that was definitely a trendy business, um, but one that is somewhat recession proof. So I went and checked his shop out and saw the kind of numbers he was doing. And, and it just made sense as a as a, uh, a business opportunity to try to exit the, the rat race. So that's what initially led me into it. But once once I got into it, the culture is is definitely aligns with a lot of my own personal interests. And it was just a natural fit to kind of get fully involved in the culture. What were your biggest challenges to getting started at that particular phase? Because I'd imagine you talked to them. I know it didn't happen overnight. Did you guys go back and forth? Did you have meetings and stuff like that? The biggest hurdle really was he was ready to move and I was I needed to do a little bit more research. Were you still in your corporate job? Yeah, I remember you were still working. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for me, I, I think it was the the fear of of investing and not having had ample time to really do the research that I wanted to do. I didn't want to lose the opportunity at the same time. So it was kind of like I, I, I just jumped and I went for it. So how much time went by? What did you say? Like, was it like two or three weeks from the time you thought about it? Two or three months from the time um, that you guys about kinda, a month and a half. I'm, that's like light speed. That's yeah. light speed in business. Wow. OK, so do you have any knowledge of running this type of business? Cause I know. None whatsoever. Knowing your background, <laughs> when you first told me you were running this type of business, it didn't seem super far-fetched knowing kind of your general interest, you know, and entrepreneur type of spirit. But it did seem very different than anything that you had been in like previously. Definitely. So how did you kind of shore up the knowledge of like adult novelty stuff? That's when hookahs and all that stuff were kind of coming yeah, in, where they kind of coming trendy. in in at that point. So you kind of got ahead of the game. And yeah. also for the audience, what year was that? 2010 This was two, 2012. 2012. Yeah. Okay. So 2012, um, it was jumping in the deep end and learning how to swim. I mean, fortunately, my my partner had a lot of experience in it. He's he's been in the smoke shop industry for like 30 years or something like that. He, 30 years. Yeah, yeah he's, a, he's an older guy. I was going to say, how old yeah. is he? Like 35? Has he been in since he was five? He's like in his 50s or 60s. Something okay. Like okay. That. So yeah. then how did you guys even meet? Like, cause oh, it's a, he was a friend of a friend. OK. OK. Yeah. So third party. Yeah. Type third situation. party connection. Okay. Nice. Um, so I was really relying upon him and his expertise, um, which helps to, a ton. Yeah, God, a ton. Yep. But once, um, you know, once he had, he kind of had to go handle some uh, some situations in in a, out of state. Mm -hmm. So I really was left trying to run a lot of things on my own. So it really was a lot of trial and error, learning quick on your on your feet and on your toes, and and paying attention to what's going on and and making adjustments as as things happen. If you have that ability to at least pay attention to what's happening, learn from your mistakes, don't repeat the mistakes, mm. then you at least have a shot. And I, I would say just just really sticking to your guns. I, I, there are quite a few times I wanted to give up. Sometimes. So how did you persevere through those times? Uh, what kept you going? One, 
not wanting to lose an investment um, to I, I feel like internally, like I, I don't have the the give up spirit. But what makes it hard was when there's so many different things attacking you from different angles. Hmm. And it's it, it, you almost hit a point of like, OK, the, I'm, I'm almost tapped out. I'm and that that's the and just the, in, in financially financial equity or sweat equity or what or financially sweat equity staff because mm. uh, I'm I'm working I'm still working a nine to five so it's not I can't be there all the time right right um so trying trying to manage a business and and having a nine to so five so how are you working is, that out were you going to work I have very long it, days wow yeah wow yeah. I remember I, you coming in like one day I remember coming through. And this is before the store was even all the way fleshed out. I come through, come in and you, and you pull up on the motorcycle and you kind of you kind of uh, transformed into like a painter's <laughs> outfit or something. You put on like some coveralls or something. You had like a hammer. And you went into the, the, the shop. Yeah. So were you doing a lot of that? Oh, yeah. Especially in the startup. Like we we did all the build out ourselves. Um, so how'd you go about choosing location? <laughs> Let's see how I want to paraphrase that. <laughs> There, there's a there's a real version in there. There's probably what I what I want to say on air. So say it, bro. It. Say it. All right. So check it out. Um, at the time, synthetic marijuana was very popular. No. It, it was it was trending and it was moving by the pound. Mm. This uh, is pre CBD days, right? Pre CBD, yes. Okay. Synthetic marijuana was all the rage, and certain communities adhered to it more than others. Um, and the communities that really stuck went for it was the white community mm-hmm. um you don't see a lot of smoke shops in black neighborhoods it, like starships stuff yeah, of that nature you just don't you don't see it that often so right. part of the decision was looking to mimic the um the success that he was having in douglasville okay so he had a shop in Douglasville. yeah he had a shop in okay. douglasville is it still there um no it's not okay it's not um, so in mimicking that, what type of clientele is, is being attracted? We, we sought out an area that had that same type of clientele for, for a time it went very well. Um, but shortly after we got start, started up, synthetic marijuana became illegal. So oh, no. your, your main cash crop is, is now gone. And so how did you deal with that? That again was one of those things like, like, okay, do we really want to do this? Cause most of the numbers were predicated upon this, this one product again, not wanting to lose, lose the investment. And just hunker down and figure out how to make it work. We broadened out our um, items to choose from. We have adult novelty. We have tattoo supplies. So did you initially have the adult novelty portion? Was it just it, a sports shop? No, it was It was initially in there. Okay, it so was in the and, and did that completely mimic what his shop was in Douglasville? Was yeah. it almost like a cookie cutter, yep. let's just do this, but do it here in Conyers yep. type situation? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was almost like uh, he, he was attempting to franchise out. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, okay. That, so that was on his first foray, so to speak, into yeah. uh, uh, some type of franchising and stuff like that. How much time did it take from the time that you chose it to the time that you guys start actually being able to get in and build and all that stuff? I know that it, that can be a, a challenge in and of itself. Yeah, that was Especially a with huge your type challenge. of business. The city really didn't want us out there initially, man. Mm-hmm. They froze us for a year. A year? An entire year. So yeah, your money's tied up. Oh, yeah. You, you have to pay rent for that entire year. So let's pause right there. Are you serious? Yeah. You pay. You had to pay rent had for to pay a rent year, for an entire year. Weren't able to make any money back. Not weren't a able to make any money. Doors not open. They wouldn't allow us to. How open did you the door. get through that year? Started eating the merchandise money. Okay. Um. So at a certain point, even that started getting low. Uh. So just to try to get in the door, when we finally opened the doors up, we had maybe two, three hundred products in the store. How many products have today? Oh my God. Uh, Ballparking. Ballpark, roughly. 75,000. So you went from two to 300 products, 2012, right? Mm-hmm. To roughly 75,000 products now yeah. in 2019. Yeah. That is incredible. Every month it was reinvest back in. 
didn't take a dime until probably like 2015, 2016. Okay. So let's, let's time this out here. So 2012, how does one go about, let's say a person starting from scratch. Is it easier to try to bootstrap it or is it easier to try to get loans, investments? What is the method that you would recommend for somebody that would be starting from from nothing? Well, I mean, I've, I've read different books um, that always suggest not you to using your own money. I can definitely understand that uh, that logic. For myself, I did use my own savings, one, because I, I didn't want to take out a loan. I didn't mm. want to have to pay back interest rates. And Man, that first 12 months, you would have yeah. been sweating bullets. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> Like, how, where's the money coming from? So I, I think that that kind of did help save me a little bit by using my own um, money. I think every situation is going to be different. A person's got to weigh, weigh that out for themselves. And some businesses, the startup cost is higher than others. What's the initial startup cost for somebody? Because you had partners as well, right? Yeah. So all um, how many partners did you have? You had two partners? A uh, total of three. So total of three partners. Yeah. So it's four all day, yeah. right? Four people all day. Mm-hmm. What would you say the total investment for was for all four? Uh, about 120,000. Okay. So about 120 grand. Are we, and if we put that out to roughly about 30 grand per, is everybody equal partnership, right? Yeah. Equal partnership. Okay. So I know that when we started our store in uh, Mississippi and it's very different, the the economy and all that stuff is very different out there, mm-hmm. but we were able to get up and started for a right around 17 grand, but it was the same situation that we had to, it was me and one other person, and we had to start with minimal equipment. Mm-hmm. And then we started doing service and stuff like that to kind of try to supplement not having that much uh, product. So in the beginning, you guys start up with that amount of money. How are you even sleeping at night in that first year when you're seeing that dollar? I remember when we started, right? And we got below 10 grand. Mm-hmm. We were all sweating. We were like, oh my God. Like, you know what I mean? You seeing the money go down, 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 down before you can start seeing any of it come in. Yeah. And that only lasted for us for about a month or two. It didn't last a year, you know? So how were you um, sleeping by, at night when that By being happening? four of us um, there, all of us were having to come out of our pocket to sustain. And you still had your daily at that. Yeah. You started your nine to five. So that, yeah. that helps a ton too, right? Because right. you still got money coming in at that point. But not like anybody wants to lose savings. But not at all. It, it's a... It's a <laughs> It's still a lot better than uh, having to try to live off that money. Also, do you have any suggestions for people as far as when you pick that that location, the location that you have in Conyers, when picking a location, what uh, what did you guys consider? Um, now, that this is this is the biggest uh, suggestion I have doing homework, um, knowing what the ordinances are for your particular business in the city that you want to open up in because not knowing the ordinances can get you in, in some trouble, but most businesses kind of don't have to worry about that because absolutely are, it's the kind of business you chose right. that, that lends itself to more difficulties and red tape to yeah. kind of try to get through. I have to be in a certain number of feet from a liquor store, a certain number of feet from a, a daycare, things like that. Even for other businesses, it's still good to do your homework and know what are the ordinances in the, in the city where you're trying to open up. Doing your homework and knowing what kind of demographics are in your area, what kind of money potential is even in your area. Right. Um, is that looking at median income and stuff like that? Yeah. Looking okay. at median income. What is the, the racial makeup in, in your in the area? Who, mm. who's culturally. Going to be, culturally, yeah. Mm. Who's going to be your target target audience? How did you guys figure out what your target audience was? Was it just using a bunch of statistics and data yeah. from what, his, what had already worked from yes. his situation and kind of well, having yeah, it be the same? Knowing the census report from Douglasville and, and Conyers had a similar census okay. report. Yeah. Awesome. That's good. So when you guys finally picked, did you take into account 
like the amount of foot traffic and um, cars that passed and stuff like that. That's an interesting thing too, because what one because of the ordinances in our business, we we have to pick a very specific little bubble of a spot that had all, bill. that fit all the where can we actually put this business at. So from that perspective, we missed out on foot traffic, but we had a great location right on the street where a lot of uh, vehicle traffic does pass by. Mm. So one of our advertising me- methods is we have a sign guy right right there on the street. You have a sign guy? We have a sign is guy. Is he spinning it? He's spinning. Is that job available? It, oh, yeah, it is. Okay. Well, I mean, I haven't <laughs> spun before. That's all right. I'm pretty sure that I can. We got training classes. Okay. So I say I, I pick up fast, man. <laughs> I pick up fast. I've been getting into better shape. I'm not sure what kind of hours he's doing out there. Yeah. Is he dancing or anything? Yeah, you got to dance, man. You oh. got to dance. So I might maybe take a few classes or yeah. something like that. Getting into employees, because I know that mm. now or what, how, what year for, or well, let's just back up here a little bit. You said you started to turn a profit in 2016. I mean, th- th- that year in timeline is not 100% accurate, but just from general recollection, um, it was probably before then, but every, I wouldn't say we weren't pulling anything out to do anything extra with everything, every single cent, everything's rolling back back into into the business. Okay. I remember us definitely uh, meeting in 2015 and uh, we were talking about the business. I just got back here in Atlanta and we were talking about the struggles of, of taking that business to profitability. And we were like, at the time you were like, well, I'm bringing them about roughly 30 grand in sales, but we're trying to find a way to turn that into profits. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? What advice would you have for going from sales to profit three to five years is about what it tends to be as what I see a lot with a lot of businesses saying, you know, when a lot of people tend to give up before then, but three to five years tends to be the the median that I see a lot. There are so many variables in that from again, paying attention to what's, what's moving and shaving the fat when you can. A lot shaving of, the fat, you mean like shaving the fat, learning meaning, what merchandise to purchase, better distributors, suppliers, stuff of that nature? What merchandise to purchase, not having unnecessary uh, bills. If there are any unnecessary utilities or anything, cut them out. Any Anything that's unnecessary, that's the fat that I'm talking about trimming um, so that you can you can keep as much money in your pocket as possible. Hiring smart as far as staff is concerned is important because if you have people in there that aren't don't have the capability of selling, Customers are going to come in and, and walk right out the door. You're getting foot traffic, but you're still not selling anything. So having right. knowledgeable um, staff that that in doing training sessions, we do training sessions every Sunday. Really? Um, every Sunday. Like sales training? Sales training. Really? And mm-hmm. is it with indoor staff? Yeah. So basically, are those man? Do you mandate attendance? Yeah. On staff? So, it's so paid, every- paid attendance, but okay. it's, it's mandated. How long are those sessions? Um, one hour. Okay, nice, nice, yeah. nice. And then what made you implement that? Because just listening to some of the conversations, you realize, okay, this salesperson didn't know how to sell this product. They don't know what it is. They don't know how it works. So if they if they don't know, how can you entice a customer to want it? Um, you feel like there's a direct correlation between the knowledge of what you're selling versus being able to convert that into a sale? 100%. And is that kind of like what you try to hammer in on when you, because I would imagine, what if you're a person who's been working with you for, for years? I think we, we met before and we talked about an um, employee that you had for years. So let's say you're an employee that you had there for years. Mm-hmm. What is that employee going to learn? Um, I'm not sure how long you've been doing a training session. But let's say they've been coming three years. Now they've had 100 and, over 150 training sessions mm-hmm. that they've come to. What are they going to learn on the 151st training session? Like what more can um, you tell that person? It's not strictly just sales. It's product knowledge. So when lot, you want new products that might be coming oh, yeah. in? Our new products are always coming in. Old products are constantly being revised to stay relevant. Being aware of the trends, being aware of how the products work and the product features 
that's the product side of it. Then we also do cover just sales technique side and being being able to add on products. Like if, if I did buy a, a water pipe, what's something that you add on to that? That's just a natural correlation, uh, mm. whether it be something to clean the insides of the pipe or uh, screens like or something like that. Accessories. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of knowledge, everybody's not a, a natural salesperson, but we try to find that, that. How do you find like what is there stuff now that you feel like you can look for a better salesperson now, now that you've kind of been in a business and you've seen the difference between a bad salesperson I'm talking about like innate ability. Yeah. What are the characteristics, I should say, of a person with innate sales ability? Well, first, I'm going to jump to this because this is something that people might be able to use. When I first started interviewing folks, it would be just randomly looking at resumes and trying to make an assumption about who this individual is. What I do now is I have a website. I think it's called Vervo, V-E-R-V-O. V-E-R-V-O. Yeah. Vervo. Uh, What that is... Make sure I'm V-E-R-V-O-E dot com. V-E-R-V-O-E dot com. Yeah. Okay. So what that does, it, it allows me to create a base of questions and a person has to respond to those questions with video. And with that video, it, I'm able to, to get a better gauge of an individual's persona, their verbiage and how they can verbalize words, whether they're able to keep eye contact when, they, when they're talking on their phone, different, mm-hmm. different things that, that you would look for. And what kind of individual would this be if they were actually having to, to talk to a customer right now? What kind of voice inflection? Some things are, are trainable. Other things are more innate in an individual that are, is, is difficult to train. I can train you about the features of a product, but I can't really train you not to be shy. Oh, yeah. You yeah, know, absolutely. It, some people are timid or completely turned off by the idea that we have sex toys in there. So you can't sell those. Or some people are homophobic. We have plenty of people in the gay community that come into our store. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, it, it's certain things like that, that it's, it's like. Do you find the answer to those questions when they come in? Like when they come in for the actual interview, let's say you see them and you like their initial because mm-hmm. I imagine it's kind of like a screening process. You still need to have a face to face with these people. So by the time the face to face happens, I don't ask that question directly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I ask it in a way of like we take a walk around the shop and I ask them to sell me certain products. And I can usually kind of tell from from uh, how they if they're that, Yeah. Nice. Nice. That's a very, very interesting method because that's like more of like a real time method. Right. Like if you can't sell me on this here, if you can't talk to me here now, what are mm-hmm. you going to do with a customer that just walks in off the street? Right. How are you going to talk to them? And you definitely don't want to make people uncomfortable. You know, uh, some folks I've seen that happen before was like, oh, God, you're getting what? You can't do that. Uh, really? Yeah. Everybody. Wow. Everybody's accepted it at a least. Yeah, man. because, I mean, it's the customer should be king. When they walk into your shop, it's not up to us what they purchase, right. you know, what they how they live their lives and stuff like that. Definitely you shouldn't be in the business of client, any kind of client or customer facing role. If you can't deal with no judgments, stuff like that. Exactly. What year did you hire your first employee? So from uh, 2012, you start business. What I, year do you hire your first person? I think. Did we open the doors? I'm trying to remember if we opened the doors um, in 20. Yeah, it was. It was, definitely it was, opened February, the doors it was February 14th, 20, uh, 2012. Mm hmm. Um, but no, we didn't hire the employee. Actually, all of the all of us that own the business were in there because we couldn't afford an employee at the time, which is typical. Honestly, I don't even remember. It was it was probably about five months in, four or five months, but when, less than a year. That's not bad yeah. though. If you get less than a year, it took us about a good year. It was more of hired. a necessity of realizing that we were the wrong people to be face front uh, in selling the the products because it it, it, just, it was a bad it was a bad fit for us to be right there. Well, that's one thing that uh, you had to recognize. You recognize yeah. that at least because some people 
you, you watch some of these shows, be it like, you know, Kitchen Nightmares and you have mm-hmm. an owner that's a tyrant. Like, you're a great cook. You're not the best customer service. No. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. So did you hire that first? Did you feel um, a connection to that very first person you hired? Like, this person is like the first person we've ever hired. Well, the first good employee, not necessarily the first body okay. you hire, because you, you could hire somebody and fire them like a week later and yeah. they could be the first person. We've but your first so solid people. employee, though. The first solid employee. No, I, I wouldn't say I felt a connection. I I think what I did feel was more of a uh, necessity to what do I have to do to make you successful or help you be successful? It was a constant learning experience from my position about what do I need to do from the employer side of things to give you the opportunity to be successful. Hmm. And that I think that that was one of the biggest learning curves because you, you can't assume someone's going to walk through the door and, and be automatically a great employee. You got to right, get them the right, right. tools and, and equip them. What was your biggest challenge with dealing with employees, you say? Something I, that you didn't anticipate and you kind of you went through it and were like, wow, I didn't see this coming. I never saw an employee selling drugs in the store. I didn't see that coming. Um, and that's happened. Really? Yeah. And did you catch one like ready camera? How did you how did you go about that? Because we um, used to have like cameras in our store that we could watch like from home. Yeah. And we could just sit there and look them on there. Just kind of see what's going on. I can see you honest in type situation. I've got I've got over 32 <laughs> cameras in the store and I can hear. And I, I Is heard, that what you caught it. Yeah. Where, where, where were you at? Were you at home? I, yeah, I was at home. And I, I, I heard him. Yeah, yeah, I can get that 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 package to you. I'm not I'm not going to say the how word. How quick right. did the phone call? How quick did you get on well, top of that situation? It was interesting cuz this is another thing. I don't like to hire friends and family. Um, Keep it separate, bro. Yeah, so Keep it separate. this particular employee was actually a, a family member of one of the other owners. So okay. I didn't even have a conversation with the individual. I just called uh uh my partner. Let him deal with it. Yeah, let, let yeah, you got to deal with this. So how how quick was it dealt with? Oh, it was immediate. It was immediate. <laughs> did yeah. you see that on camera? Did you see that? Did you see the partner <laughs> running into the store on camera. Yeah, you watch the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, just the, the idea that your your family members in here and you were you were jeopardized, your your other family members, what they have going on for a couple of dollars. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's, it's very disappointing. But yeah, I, I will not hire family or friends. Okay. So that's one thing you could take away from dealing with employees. Another thing that we talked about and and I told you this um similar because we both have uh deal with with uh with staffing and stuff like that or deal with uh, employees psychological aspect of it when i first started dealing with other people that i felt like were like hey you know we're grown we're mature people there's no <laughs> such thing like I've, I've discovered there is no such thing despite the age that person can be 60 you yeah. can have issues um did you deal with any of that oh my god i still deal with it uh constantly it's a constant struggle it's right? constant and it's, it's weird <laughs> because like i'm not a psychologist but you find yourself having to play the psychology role and coddle grown people. And Absolutely. It's, it's so it's, it's frustrating sometimes, man, because <laughs> you just want to grab a person and shake them. Like you're too old for this. <laughs> and how many employees would you say on, on average it takes to run a store like that size? Seven, seven. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So just to close up real quick, is there any parting advice you would give to somebody looking to maybe get into the business, maybe to make that jump from uh, corporate America to entrepreneurism? I think that anyone can do it, but not everyone should do it. And the reason I say that is because... So anyone can do it, but not everyone should do it. Yeah. Okay. And the reason I I say that is because it definitely takes a certain type of drive that a lot of people that are accustomed to getting that steady check in corporate America, a lot of folks can do okay when when their steps are directed. But when 
that book stops at you and you have to get put your own battery in your back and wake up in the morning and figure out what is the next move. That ability is not with within everyone. And I see that happen. I've got partners of mine that have attempted to everybody wants to start their business, but not, not everybody really, really would at the core when they get down to it takes the time, energy and effort to do what it takes to, to get to that point. Is that like more sustainability, self-motivation and stuff of that nature? I would say self-motivation is definitely a, a key element. When I look at myself and, and kind of ask myself, why, what is it about me that helped me survive? And I think that it's, it's the ability to adjust quickly on your toes. When any, in any given situation, quickly adjusting, reading, being able to read information and disseminate what's, what's important and what's not, what to throw away, what to keep. And I think that's one of the biggest things, really just being able to, to hunker down and focus. I've, one of my partners was trying to, trying to get into something and yet every other weekend he's out kicking. I'm like, this isn't the time to do that. Like being able to separate. That's just discipline too, bro. Discipline, it's discipline. A lot of discipline. Yeah. I recently lost um, my, my manager in the store, my manager and the assistant manager. So as soon as that Two happened, one, bro. as soon as that happened, what I realized that some of my employees started doing was not doing the tasks that they normally know that they're supposed to do. Is that because of the oversight being gone? Oversight's gone. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people need to ask themselves the question. When there is no one looking over your shoulder, are you the type of individual that needs direction or, or do you self-check? Do you self get tell yourself what and assign, self-assign yourself what you have to do next? If you have the ability to do that, then you probably do have some of the qualities that will allow you to be successful in the business. When I wake up in the morning, there is no one that sets my alarm clock. There is no one that sets the task for the day. You have to get up and outline everything that you do, and not only for yourself, but now you're responsible for other people too. Right. And you have to Which keep, add serious yeah. gravity to any situation. Yep. Because now, now people are relying upon you for their paycheck, for their livelihood. They're relying upon you for, for, for their next task. If, if you have that in, within you and it's legitimate, you can actually look yourself in the mirror and say that it's legitimate and not just the I would like to, not just the fleeting I want to, but you really have that in, in your core. Take your shot. I would encourage anyone to take their shot if they've got that in them. Right. Take that shot. Get out the rat race because I, I know I'm not about to word this quote correctly, but it's something to the effect <laughs> of, of when you're you're at work for someone else, you're working for their dreams. You know, get out here and work for your own dreams. I definitely would encourage that. And the way that the economy is going now anyway, it's not such a big thing to be in a job for 20 years or anything like that now. I think there is more opportunity for entrepreneurs than ever before. I don't know how to speak for for some of the other cities. I know you had mentioned your shop was in, in uh, Mississippi. Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Grenada. I mean, you went there and opened up a business. So I think it's, it's just that mindset, having mm-hmm. that entrepreneurial mindset. I think you could probably go anywhere, but True. it's an honest mindset. And you 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 have to honestly deal with the questions that are, that hit you and made it make it through any obstacles that come your way. I don't know what else to say about it. That's it. That's, 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 we're going to leave it right there. And I hope we'll better touch base with you again when you uh, do your expansion. We'll come back and, and touch base and see how things are going. I would love for that. All right. Chris Barrow with Elite Smoke Shop and Adult Novelty in Conyers, Georgia. Definitely Google us. We've got a great review on there. I would love for you to come by the store and give us a review. The address is 1370 Highway 138, Conyers, Georgia. On uh, You can follow us on our Instagram at Elite Adult. Follow us on Facebook, Conyers Elite. Website is EliteAdultOnline.com.
All right, you know this show too is like worldwide status, so that's it. Hey, <laughs> come come and find me. I, I'm looking for uh, in, international wife right now, so you know. Goodness gracious, <laughs> let's let's get out of here before we get this man in trouble. Dragon ATL, Chris Barrow. See you later. All right.